You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't have a good pun for episode 16, so we'll just get right into it. Today is going to be very interesting. We're going full on nostalgia retro because I managed to track down. This is like pre-nostalgia though for me because I don't have any personal nostalgia. That's true. I think it's just the 90s nostalgia. Okay. All right. So I believe it was last episode we covered an article about how Miller Coors was bringing Zima back. And you know what I managed to find? A 12 pack of Zima. You had to buy a 12 pack of this. Yes, I did. So I assume... I've got four if anybody out there wants them. <laughs> doing trades, doing yeah. trades. Yeah. What's my trade value on Azima? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it would be, but they're doing this probably limited run, oh, right? Very. Yes. Just the summer here of 2018? I believe so. Okay. Um, do we know anything else about either what, what prompted them to do this? Is it just purely the nostalgia factor, or is there some sort of like... You know, it, like kind of the summer thing where they'll rename the beer to America or mm. anything like that. This is I. This is purely based off of the fact that if you look around, the '90s are becoming cool again. Thing we talked about this, mm-hmm. I think at least a couple times now. All, all the cartoons that we used to love, all the candy, all the clothing, the fashion, everything's Pogs. coming. Yeah, all everything's coming back around. So why not capitalize on you know the growing trend? All right, so as we said, we are trying out for science Zima. It is a 5% malt beverage. Smells very fruity, citrusy. I got alcohol, though, right away. Yeah. When I smelled it. Okay. Um, Neither of us have actually had this yet, so this is going to be a first time. Uh, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. In In a way that is like, I buy into the hype, or I buy into the... The same way that I do for, say... Uh, you know, a uh, limited release, a yearly bottle release from Bottle Logic, mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Uh, the the Heady Topper. I'm not putting Zima next to Heady Topper, but it kind of follows that that same sort of uh, social, like, hey, we're all doing this limited release thing, right? It's fun. We got to try it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. exactly. <sighs> oh. <laughs> uh, so can I can I just say yes? It, first impressions. Uh, bottles cool as heck. It, this like crazy fluted uh, thing. Yeah. It was to, the, the ridges. Is there a reason for this? Just to stand out. Okay. All right. The uh, label wraps around the neck of the bottle and sort of the base of the bottle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the full, uh, you know, Guinness style or Heineken style. It's, uh, it's like trying to show off the liquid inside, even though the liquid inside is completely, clear. Completely clear. Oh, man. <laughs> this is the second clear beverage we've had, though, this, week to week. Yes, so, that's true. Go three for three, maybe, next All week. All right, so let's try it, and then I'll get into a little bit. I mean, this is it's, it's citrus. It's, it's, it's Sierra Mist adult uh, edition. Basically. It's sweet. It's basically, it's lemon-lime. It's definitely very sugary sweet. I don't get any booziness off of it at all. Not, not even... Not, not even a little bit. No. Mm-mm. I And as someone, I, years ago in college, I did partake in Mike's Hard Lemonade and Smirnoff Ice and those other sort of malt beverages. Mm-hmm. So I have a history of understanding these. <laughs> um, and those were also the same way. Those were very sweet, very easy to just like, to just down two or three in the span of, you know, not a long period of time. Now, I see how this would come out during summer, but... I don't know what this aftertaste is, but it's almost like minty winter fresh. Uh, like I just brushed my teeth. Interesting fact. Okay. Zima means winter in Slavic. Ah, all right. So it's maybe supposed to invoke like coolness, cool, refreshing. Cold, yeah. 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 Okay. All so, right. So I get that. I totally get that. A little history here. The lemon lime drink was part of the clear craze, as they coined it, of the 90s when Crystal Pepsi and Tab Clear came out. We all remember how well those did. Mm-hmm. And then back in 2008, uh, Miller Coors announced that it had discontinued Zima in the U.S., uh, although oddly enough, even though it was discontinued here, it never left store shelves in Japan. Did you see it when no. you were there? No, not that I remember. No? I... Apparently, it's still being produced and sold there on a regular basis since it, it first came out. 
Interesting. In in uh, uh, glass bottles still like that. Ah, okay. Uh, easy easy pop tops. Yeah. All right. So in 2017, um, it was announced that Zemo would come back for a limited run beginning July 4th. So again, mm-hmm. the summer months, um, they did the same thing. Very limited release. And I guess since nostalgia is hitting hard this year, they decided to go back again. Do you have... Okay, so we're, we've tried Zima here. And I'm... I mean, we're... It's enjoyable. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's kind of warmed up a bit in, in, in my stomach because of the, the disconnect. Mm. The, like, uh, again talking about last week the psychological disconnect of tastes like a soda kind of burns in in your stomach because it's got something yes and i will say that um once these sort of like malt beverages warm up unlike certain beers they become pretty terrible in my Mm, opinion got it it's something that you want ice cold have you had any other like 90s nostalgia treats or beverages recently or do you have a particular memory about a 90s beverage specifically it doesn't have to be beer obviously I, I wasn't 21 anywhere near the 1990s so do you have one that that sort of conjures up very specific memories of that era um i can i can put past a couple of names for you here if that would help squeeze it that was the first one that actually i was just about to say the squeezes the big plastic bottles with the little twist off top Mm -hmm. yes i remember those those were like a very special thing okay they were they were a little on like the pricier side of our budget (laughs) so getting one of those was kind of cool yeah, it was in the uh, the Capri Sun era as well. Yes, where Ca- Capri those Sun were way that's been around for forever. Still, yeah. those were those were our go to. Did you ever try uh, things like Surge or or Jolt? Uh, Surge definitely. I loved Surge when that came out. Jolt, um, I think I ha- Jolt Cola, right? Yes. Yeah, the like the, like one of the early energy colas, like double uh, double caffeine, seventy two milligrams of caffeine oh, man. per serving. Yes, I remember having one of those. That was not very good. Surge was definitely a big one for me and then i don't remember the exact time frame i'm gonna have to look it up really quick but do you remember something called dnl or seven upside down no i remember seven upside down so we referred to it as dnl because it was backwards so Ah, you saw it it was dnl yes that it was it was known as dnl oh we were all about that when was that do you have Uh, a time frame it was part of the Seven Up family of soft drinks and was introduced in September 2002. Okay, so way past the 90s. So never mind. But still, <laughs> it was launched the same year as other attempts uh, to extend soft drink brand names with iterations including Pepsi Blue, Dr Pepper Red Fusion, and Vanilla Coke. So this is the like uh, the flavored colas <laughs> era. I do remember Surge though, and I brought up DNL because it reminded it reminded me of Surge. It's like bright green, caffeinated, yes. like alternative to Mountain Dew. Well, it, and it was in that sort of era. I mean, this is obviously we're in a beer podcast here talking about sodas and and sugary beverages, but sugar is one of those imperative parts of the brewing process. That's how you get your alcohol That's content. How you get the alcohol. So. I don't. I don't see anyone making a Seven Up alcohol anytime soon. This, this is, is probably about as close as we're going to get right now. <laughs> Although I know some of the other malt beverages out there are still being produced. Yeah. Um, but okay, so it's a, it's about the same calories as a can of soda. I think that. And what did you say? Sixty carbs? Uh, no. So this this is coming in at it's twelve fluid ounces, uh, one hundred eighty one calories, and okay. twenty one carbohydrates. Oh, okay. Uh, less than a gram of protein. Uh, I guess I'm mostly surprised that this was even a beverage in the 90s because of the diet crazes of the 90s and the like cutting the calories, low fat, blah, blah, blah. Clear kind of implies purity and and implies like, oh, no, no, no. It's just, it's like water. You know water? My, my friend water over here? Yeah. That, it's good. It was definitely marked. It doesn't have any calories and in it. And I think that was part of the marketing behind it when I was doing a little research behind it, um, that it was targeting the alternative for heavy beer like this light, refreshing drink as opposed to... Even though when you drink it, it is just sugar, 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 sugar. Yeah, I, I can see I can see the uh, the appeal on a very hot day. Is that a lemon pun? I guess it could be. It, let's, let's make it. Let's go for that. I, I'll, <laughs> yes, I'll take claim for that. All right. Were any of you out there able to find this limited release and give it a shot? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. We have 12, so just get at us. We'll just, we'll if anybody needs out. one. (laughs) 
Now we're going to take a look at our next batch of core badges. I know many of you out there have been waiting for our next set. Um, we had to take a little bit of a hiatus after our last batch, but we've got a new batch ready to go. These will be launching within the next week or so. And we've got seven for you here. We usually release five of them, but uh, like Tim said, we took a little bit of time off to reassess some of the uh, more interesting badges, I think. Ones that you can actually vote on, too. If you're interested in voting on these core badges, go to the show notes and we'll put a link to vote on the badges for our next core badge release. The first badge we have up here is Brewery Pioneer. You can unlock this one by checking into five different beers from a brewery. That will get you level one. This one can be leveled up to 100. You will need to have five more from another brewery to get the next level and so on and so forth. Okay, so that would be up to 100 different breweries yeah, to the, get that max level. The idea here is to explore different breweries. Um, and this one is not location-based, unlike our other um, brewery-based badge. Um, this is just about trying different beers from different breweries, not necessarily being at the brewery. Cool. Sounds good. The next one we have up here is Old is New. This is for checking into five different beers with the style of Old Ale. You can level this one up to 100 as well. We should probably just say we can level all these badges up to 100 so I don't have to repeat it every time. <laughs> um, I have not had that I know of any Old Ales. I'm actually looking right now. Checking your history. Yeah. That'll be interesting to know. One Old Ale that I did like a lot that I've had uh, is the Hibernation Ale from Great Divide Brewing Company. Oh, well, in that case, maybe I have had some. Yeah, 8.7% ABV, 50 IBUs. Kind of a nice, nice balanced, caramely uh, type beverage. That one's considered an English-style old ale. Oh, well, hey, look at that. I have had that one. I've had uh, a couple of these, actually. Huh. What I do like about badges like this, though, is that uh, they encourage me to try, obviously, styles that uh, <laughs> I haven't had much of and, and gets me to explore a little bit more of uh, the, the history of of beer if you would no yeah. more ipas right right guys right, yes right, moving on try other things <laughs> after we clear the fridge out yeah uh next up we have small but not forgotten this is for checking into five different beers from a bunch of micronations as they're referred to um small european countries including andorra channel islands faroe islands gibraltar greenland the isle of man Liechtenstein, malta monaco Cyprus, San Marino, or Luxembourg. I didn't know there were breweries in many of these places. Yeah. I'm sure I, there are. I'm sure they're also pretty small. Uh, so good luck finding are they, those. That's, are they microbreweries? <laughs> well done. Next up, we have Smooth as Silk. This just, is just like your jokes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> smooth as silk this is for checking to five different beers with the serving style of nitro so when you check into a beer we have the option now on the check-in screen to choose your serving style hopefully you know that by now it's been out for quite a while uh if you choose the serving style of nitro because you are having a beer that is being served on nitro then you can unlock this badge i love a good nitro beer it it you can take anything and put it on nitro and it adds such an interesting uh, flair to the texture it tends to be a little bit more of a like a uh, keyword with cold brew these days and not truly actually impart much of the nitro uh, infusion or the nitro flavor to the coffee. But in beer, uh, next level. I love it. Speaking of trying different styles, the next badge we have up for you is the Viennaville badge. You can unlock this one by checking into five different Vienna style lagers. We'll learn more about Vienna lagers here in a little bit. That's a pretty pretty common um, style now, it seems. Yeah, well, you've got big big folks like uh, Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, their Brooklyn Lager mm -hmm. is a Vienna-style lager. Uh, Beerito, which is kind of a fun one, uh, is also a Vienna-style lager, which you wouldn't expect. I was I was expecting more like a, a, a what would be considered a Mexican lager. Yes, and actually, don't get too far, because it's our style of the week. Okay. And I've got a bunch about that. All right. Next up, we have Tag Your It. You can unlock this one by tagging any friend in 15 check-ins during a 60-day period. Now, this one is just a regular old milestone badge. This is not leveled up to 100. Correct. I guess I retract my statement if you keep it in this <laughs> about all these badges being leveled up to 100. That's right. And last but not least, we have In Lighter Times. This is to check into five different beers with the style of IPL or the uh, 
India Pale Lager, which is an interesting style that's kind of been emerging over the last few years. If you do have retroactive badges turned on, you will earn the appropriate level counting all of your check-ins from your entire untapped history when you qualify for one of these badges. And by default, that is not enabled. So by default, they are not retroactive unless you have it turned on, like Kyle said. That's correct. So for anyone who has not turned them on, which is probably going to be the majority of you, you're going to start at level one for all of the core badges that level. We'll have a full list of these badges up on the Untapped blog over at blog.untapped.com. We will link to it from our show notes, which is at podcast.untapped.com. And we will also throw in a link again so that you can go see the current badges for voting and cast your vote for what you want to see in our next edition. Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Fort Brewers and I'm back with another homebrew tip. And today I wanted to talk a little bit more about controlling the temperature of your fermentation. This is a very important thing because if your temperature varies a lot, your yeast can do some funky things. So you want to make sure you really, really pay attention to the temperature of your fermentation. And in my opinion, the best way to do this is by spending just a little bit of money. What I use is a five cubic foot freezer, a drop-in chest freezer, and a temperature controller. Now a five cubic foot freezer, you can get for right around like 100 bucks to 130 bucks, depending. Uh, If you look for a used one, you can get them for super cheap, like 50 bucks. The nice thing about that freezer is it's small and it's the perfect size for a five gallon bucket or a five gallon carboy. Now a temperature controller, there's a few different types you can buy and they're all, I guess you could say the price varies, but they're all in the same area and that's around 100 bucks. Um, You can find them for cheaper and you can find more expensive ones. You can find ones that are um, connected to the internet that you can interact with, with with an app and change temperature and graph your fermentation temperatures and all that kind of fun stuff. But um, the basic ones are around 80 to $100, I would say. Again, this is a little pricey. You're going to spend about 200 bucks for this whole thing. But in my opinion, it's worth it. What you do is you take the temperature controller and you plug that into an outlet in the wall. And then the plug for your freezer plugs into a plug on the temperature controller. So the controller sits between the plug in your wall and the freezer. Obviously, you don't want the freezer to freeze your beer while it's fermenting. So the temperature controller has a probe that you put inside of the fermentation chamber. And so you can set the temperature controller to a certain temperature. The probe will monitor the temperature inside of the freezer. And when it gets down to a certain temperature, it will cut the electricity off to the freezer. And that means your beer will constantly be fermenting at a steady temperature. As its temperature rises, the freezer will stay on longer and come on more often to control and negate that rise in temperature. It's really, really nice. The other cool thing about getting a five cubic foot freezer and the temperature controller for that matter is you can use it to then serve your beer. So once you're done fermenting, what a lot of home brewers do is they crash their beer. So all the yeast is settling out. You're done with fermentation. It's been a couple of weeks. Now you really want to get everything out of the solution as much as possible. So you can set that temperature controller to around 35 degrees and let your beer sit in the fermentation vessel for about a week. And what that's going to do is it's going to let everything drop out as much as possible. And you're going to get a nice tight uh, cake at the bottom of your fermenter. At that point, you can then keg your beer and then carbonate your beer and use the freezer to then keep your beer cold and serve your beer. And typically these five cubic foot freezers hold about two soda kegs, uh, the tall cylindrical kegs that you can get at homebrew shops. I think you can fit two in there, depending on the make and model that is. Again, you're going to spend a little bit of money, but you're going to get way better results when it comes to your finished product. And you can also use it to serve your beer. So that's my homebrew tip this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off.
Let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. As we mentioned in the Core Badges segment, this week we are taking a look at the Vienna Lager. Mm -hmm. Um, While digging through to get this article together, uh, I found some very interesting history. This one's actually really cool. I like the story behind this style. Okay. So it starts back in 1820 when Franz Anton Dreyer, uh, owner of the Klein Schwehat Brewery, uh, died, leaving it to his uh, 10-year-old son, Anton. So at 10 years old, Anton is far too young to take over the operations of the family brewery, and instead he embarks upon an apprenticeship's journey throughout Europe to learn more about brewing and get himself prepared for when he finally can take over. Hmm. During the time of his journey uh, in the 1830s, a new method of killing had come into use in Europe, um, which allowed breweries to use hot air to dry their malts instead of over direct fire. Uh, which and usually ended up leaving the malt with kind of a dark, toasty, smoky profile, which is why the majority of beers of that time were usually dark. Right. Um, this new method uh, of kilning imparted a lighter color and a more delicate flavor profile. Well, and I think during that whole time period, there was a, a fascination, if you would, with uh, steam and hot air and how the different ways that you could leverage that for mechanical processes, probably even things like cooling or heating or uh, yep. the, the food industry especially a lot of the uh, technological advances that came about in that time frame uh, definitely made their way into the beer and brewing industry yeah um, this obviously being one of those examples so while visiting england um dreyer learned of this new technology um he, he studied it and ended up taking it back uh, home and then takes his place as the head brewer in 1836 um, using this newly learned um, air killing method he ends up creating an amber malt that is just slightly caramelized instead of being kind of that smoky, dark, what you'd expect if you were to just put something, you know, in a flame. Sure. Well, I mean, we were just walking along the Third uh, Street Promenade here in Santa Monica and the smell of barbecue as soon as we got out uh, into that area was so intense. And I'm kind of thinking maybe it was something to that effect where you've got sort of the low and slow method producing a lot of this really uh, caramelized flavor rather than the like uh, burnt like uh, like you know really roasty flavors of malts previously well nice and low and slow direct you know? versus indirect heat also right. having a part to it right. exactly exactly um, so this new malt that he created he ended up calling the Vienna malt believe it or not was there a reason for for that other than the fact that it was in Vienna yes <laughs> No. I think that pretty much covered it right there. No sausages then. No, the, just the malt right now. Just the malt. Okay. Are we going to learn about the, the history of the Vienna sausage after this? I That would be lovely. The canned... I'll let you cover that one. You're the foodie. <laughs> so this Vienna malt uh, is combined with lager yeast, uh, which ended up brewing up a uh, reddish copper lager that had a, a delicate and kind of slightly bready malt profile, um, as you can imagine. And then this new beer, it was released to the public in 1841, and it was called the Lager Vienna Type, or Vienna Style Lager. This new style actually predated the Bohemian Pilsner by a year, making it arguably the first pale lager in the world. There you go. Huh. And we have learned in the past about the interesting transition from around this time frame from the darker beers to the lighter, more pale beers. This is when brown beer kind of shifted and pale ales became more popular. Plus the ability to to cool things down in a way to create that style. Uh, it, it just sounded like all of these brewers were bound to kind of do this around the same time anyway, especially if, if uh, Dreyer is borrowing this method from England from a visit and kind of bringing it back and, and utilizing those same techniques on, on a style that, that he's inventing. Yes. And again, the whole idea of a style starting somewhere and ending up different in another region. We're well, I mean, being we're from well the U S yeah, being from the U S we're well aware that we, we have definitely co-opted many, many, many styles in, in the history of craft beer and push the envelope in different ways. Obviously it's, uh, it's just interesting to see, I think. Now, there's an interesting parallel in the stories of two different styles of beer that kind of go together here, according to some of the articles that I was reading. Another brewer by the name of Gabriel Sadelmeyer, uh, who is the son of the owner of Spaten Brewing, uh, he actually joined Anton for part of his journey and learned about this new kilning method as well. Hmm. He ended up taking the technology back home and decided to kiln his malts to a slightly higher degree, 
And then he combined this with lager yeast and created what would become the Munich Marzen. I, uh, Marzen beers. So, so, so good. I, I can't wait until, at least here in the U.S., it's always sort of a fall yes. uh, time period thing for us. Those are one of my favorite oh, uh, styles. So good. Love the kind of the, the maltiness. And, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're getting, we're getting mm-hmm. off base from where we were. Uh, so World War One came about and ended up decimating the Austrian economy, um, and the Vienna style lager basically just completely disappeared from its mother country. Wow! Do, at this point, do we know if it's actually being brewed in its original form anywhere else in the world, or is it just simply here in Vienna? Fortunately, yes. Um, be- prior to World War One, early Austrian brewers had actually already set the style um, in motion on a completely different continent, setting up operations in Mexico, believe it or not. Not where I would have expected, honestly. Yeah, you're right. Not at all where mm-hmm. I would have expected. Other iterations of the Vienna style lager have gained popularity um, in America, but it was mainly kept alive in Mexico. Other iterations of the Vienna-style lager gained great popularity in kind of the post-Prohibition America, but it was really Mexico that kept the basic style alive. Hmm. Um, It underwent some changes, the grain bills, um, the ingredients shifted a little bit, but it was mostly these Austrian immigrants that came across and kind of kept the style going. Um, In 1926, uh, Cerveceria Modelo opened in Mexico City, and it was soon producing its own kind of adjunct-laden example of the style, which was Negro Modelo, uh, which is obviously still very popular today. Absolutely. Um, and as we know with most styles, um, the Vienna style lager has found a new popularity here with American craft brewers. This is a, what a what an interesting uh, journey. Yeah, for all the a, pieces a st- that go into it. Interesting journey for a style that, I mean, given given how war probably affected that area could have just completely gone away oh, yeah. at, at the end of that. It could have been superseded by like the Marzen or by the Bohemian lager or whatever, um, or Bohemian Pilsner. Yes. Um, it, it's just so surprising to me. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. The first article we have up this week is from Thrillist.com, and it is, Here's how much a beer costs in cities around the world. I thought this was very interesting. Uh, the article says, As you're planning your next globetrotting adventure, it's always nice to know what your expenses will look like when you land. Is eating out crazy expensive? What's the best way to get around town? And how much does a beer cost? That's a, I mean, that's a very specific question about what is the alcohol, maybe taxes and things like that, because it is different when you go to, in my recent trip to Japan, um, there's no tipping. So that wasn't one that I, I, I never really thought about like, what do I add additionally to my bill as I get it? It was just all included. And I think that's a very US centric thing to think, right? We we're used to like, I get a single beer. Typically, I'll give a dollar on top of that just to say like one drink, one dollar for, for the tip. Um, but what, what does this article say? So this article uh, has some interesting data in it. Uh, Thrillist uh, used some information from visualcapitalist.com, which uh, collected data from Deutsche Bank's 2018 Mapping the World's Prices report to show the average price of a pint of beer in cities around the world. Uh, Visual Capitalist notes that while that's not a perfect picture of prices in a city, it does allow for a more consistent comparison of wildly differing markets. Um, Broadly speaking, higher beer prices are found in cities with higher costs of living, which I mean is to be expected. Um, However, they did say that Dubai is the most expensive city out of the 48 they cited, um, partly because for the most part, drinking is only allowed for expats and non-Muslim residents of the city. So demand demand is low, but the availability is probably low at the same time. So anyone kind of visiting that area is going to, if they want something, they're kind of willing to, to shell out for it. Yep. And Thrillist went through and kind of made a very nice top 10 most expensive and top 10 least expensive mm. that we can run through uh, here. Let's see. Let's um, see. Okay. So uh, let me, let me, let me try and guess here a little bit. Um, least expensive. Big cities, right? We're, we're talking big cities. They covered 48 cities in the original uh, Deutsche Bank report. What about China? Somewhere, uh, Beijing. Let's go Beijing. Mm, not Beijing, but uh, Hong Kong does come up at number three. Okay. Um, if we want to round out the top five. That'd be good. Most expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Zurich, Switzerland, which is the equivalent of $7.70 a pint. 
game. Number four most expensive is Singapore, which is $8.30. As we said, number three is Hong Kong, which is $8.90. Number two is Oslo, Norway, interestingly enough, at Hmm. $10.30 a pint. And rounding out the top, which the article did point out, is Dubai in the United Arab Emirates is $12 a pint. Wow. Wow. But the big jump, big jump in the average price, though. We went 8, 8, 8, 10, 12. Exactly. Hmm. So moving on to least expensive. Yeah, let's see. What do you want to throw any guesses out here? Uh, I, I kind of want to put LA in there. It, 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 I mean, we pay a lot for beer. Listen, you, Tim, you and me, we pay a lot for beer. Uh, because typically we're buying it in uh, limited quantities, yes. right? It's small it's, releases, it's small local releases. breweries. It's limited release Zima. It's you know th- <laughs> things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you the interesting thing, the United States um, actually does not make any of the least expensive. Um, and this is kind of, this is probably just factoring in you know the total cost of a beer, not tip, not anything else. Correct. It's, it's just okay. But if we go back really quick to the top ten most expensive cities, we only did the top five. But number seven is San Francisco, and number six is New York. Wow, not not what I would have expected at all. That's true. It's it's nice to know that at least L.A. isn't in there. Granted, I don't know if this report covered L.A. Least expensive. So uh, least expensive. We'll do the top five let's least go. expensive. Uh, number five is Cape Town, South Africa, at two dollars and sixty cents a pint. That's low. Wow. Uh, number four, Mexico City, $2.40 okay. a pint. All right. Uh, number three, Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. That is $2.20 a pint. Huh. Uh, number two is Prague in the Czech Republic at one sixty a pint, which there's a lot of beer in the Czech Republic. There is a lot, yes. Quantity is driving the price <laughs> down there, I'm sure. Uh, and then the number one least expensive is Manila in the Philippines at $1.50. Wow, that's and plus we we need to say that all of these are obviously in USD. Conversion rates apply. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be curious to know what the, those actually are in the in the currency. Uh, because what's nice, let's say like here in the U.S., right? You can slap a, a five dollar bill uh, on on the counter in exchange for a pint. I would I wonder if that is part of the culture in these areas where you know I, I give a, a five hundred yen coin. Uh, in Tokyo to buy a pint or, you know, things, things like that, where the exchange of goods is convenient because it's driven by beer culture. This is true. That's a very interesting point. I don't know. I don't know what the answer would be, but I'm, I'm intrigued to know. It would make a lot of sense again for like Prague with lots of beer flowing in that area. Right. It's probably less like the go to the store and buy it. It is maybe more of you know, these are local producers. You can pick up local stuff here. And I wonder, too, what, like, exports would be in those countries. You know, grabbing a, a Coor, Coors, Miller's, whatever, beer, Zima, uh, what, what would that cost? That's probably you know? way higher. Yeah, yeah. Our next article comes from the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, this one's I thought was, I got a kick out of this. Um, WeWorks, free beer to flow again, legal or not. Now, if you aren't familiar with WeWork, it is a very large brand of co-working spaces throughout the world. Um, I think it is pretty much the largest co-working space company. It's the one. It's got to be one of the biggest. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Uh, our New York office is actually based out of a WeWork. That's right. I was there a couple weeks back. But getting into the actual problem, um, after months of being alcohol-free in California, the co-working company catering to young professionals is reviving a popular workspace perk: beer on tap. Now, we have beer on tap in our Wilmington office. We, we do. We don't here in the Santa Monica office, but um, I think maybe, maybe this could be related. But breaking news here on the podcast, I know we try to stay timely as much as possible, but WeWork is in talks with SoftBank to double its valuation to as much as $40 billion. So to say that WeWork is the biggest, it is soon to be, with SoftBank's help, soon to be probably the biggest co-working company that there. is nuts yep heading back into the article um it says that in december to the dismay of many of its tenants we work suddenly pulled the free alcohol from its california offices um, according to documents obtained by the chronicle that decision came after the new york company received at least seven letters from california's department of alcohol beverage control which said serving alcohol to tenants without a liquor license was a criminal misdemeanor Mr. Meaner, he's um he he was the PE teacher in high school. Uh, just bad bad dude, too mean. I think <laughs> I, I don't even have a, a, a retort to that. <laughs> I was trying to think of something. I'm just not as fast. 
yeah, that was my problem in PE too. Uh, it was I was always picked last. It was slow. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So in February, the department uh, told WeWork in an email that it was likely to need a liquor license to continue serving alcohol to its members, but investigating the matter was not a regulatory priority. The company interpreted that email as a signal to refill the kegs without going through the hassle or expense of getting a liquor license. So basically, the alcohol board said, we're not really a priority to investigate this matter. And WeWork said, shrug, okay, we're just going to do it anyway. Hmm. And now the, the the problem is, I guess, that anyone can go into the WeWork offices? Mm, it, it actually, um, so basically in California, companies don't need a liquor license if they serve free alcohol to their employees. But because WeWork mm-hmm. has, is a co-working space that has mostly paying customers, which are the tenants, they're mm-hmm. not considered employees. Thus, they're not covered by the company's liability or licenses to serve alcohol. So this is this is basically saying like you could you couldn't put in California you couldn't put a tap just anywhere to let anyone uh, have free reign on it. But it seems like it's not necessarily a priority for the WeWork debacle here. Yeah, and for those tenants here in California, this is good news for you to start enjoying a Friday afternoon uh, or I guess any time. I mean, this free is pints. obviously this is really really specific just to California law. Yes, um, there are probably other laws governing different states in the U.S. and and more specifically across the world since we work again is a huge company. And now with this new uh, round of SoftBank investment, they did get some investment last year, late last year from SoftBank, but. This next investment, I mean, it's probably paying off in such a way that they're like, ah, we we got to get in this game, free beer or not. This is a this is a, a an interesting proposition for them. I don't know. I don't know enough about the the co working spaces and uh, what amenities are there to to properly say if this is something I would even care that much about because let's say, okay, from our this, perspective, at this right? Point, like, just BYOB. Exactly. Uh, but you know, do I trust WeWork to choose a, a proper keg or do I, I mean, San Francisco, right? Gotta be a great place for beer when it comes to, uh, you go down the street, go to Almanac and, and pick up a keg from Almanac and plug that into your WeWork campus. It's gotta be primo. It's just, I, I don't know if I trust WeWork. I want, to, I want to go to a WeWork office. I've never been to one. I didn't go to the one in New York, um, but I, there, we've got one here in Santa Monica. Oh, there's quite a few. Yeah, there's, they're all I think over there's the place. Like two they're literally all over the place. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, another article we have here for you is from the Courier Journal. Uh, this says, Kentucky brewers have the edge on the bourbon barrel aged beer craze. So in warehouses across Kentucky, more than 6.6 million bourbon-filled barrels await their perfect age. So it's a, it's a waiting game with a lot of this stuff aging yeah. and just waiting for them to be perfect. Um, and around the world, a horde of craft brewers are waiting, itching to get their hands on these bourbon-soaked barrels. Brewers obviously need these barrels if they want to keep up with the growing demand for bourbon barrel-aged beers, um, which is a style that was once considered a specialty and is now kind of almost become a requirement when opening a brewery anywhere Absolutely. Well, or even like special releases. Uh, I know bourbon barrel or any any sort of oak-aged or barrel-aged beers... Uh, they, they'll usually end up as like, Hey, this is the, the next hot thing from us. It's limited release. Cause we only had a couple of barrels. We could get use. our hands on one barrel. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Bring and your cup. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty much it for, for some breweries because there, there are, you know, not that many out there. And interesting fact here though, is that in the past three years alone, um, the Brewers Association reports that sales of barrel aged beers have increased 20%. So that desire so, so has the price. So yeah, well, the price yes, and the desire <laughs> for those barrels, which are obviously already hard to come by, um, the demand for that has increased as well. Yeah. While the demand for these barrels could pose a problem for a brewer, say in Wyoming, brewers in Kentucky have formed relationships with distillers that are angling them toward the front of the barrel age craze. You can imagine, you know, if you're there, you're local, you make friends with those local distilleries, mm-hmm. and you. Get your hands on it. Well, and you, you, more than likely, the the distillers don't want to be shipping these off to you know the other side of the country. If they can load them up in the back of a truck, drive it down the street, and give it to a local brewer, they're gonna choose that over 
you know, taking the time to ship it elsewhere. This is true. Damaging it, you know, any, mm. any sort of thing like that. Um, the article does go on to say, need proof? Uh, drop in on this year's Kentucky Craft Bash, where 28 breweries will present a special set of beers aged in Willet 80th anniversary barrels, available only to local breweries for the second annual beer festival. The executive director of the Kentucky Guild of Brewers uh, is quoted saying, we wanted to show off one of the signature pieces of Kentucky with those bourbon barrels. Um, They're never going to do this for anyone ever again. (laughs) Wow. I mean, those are some barrels that have been sitting and waiting, and you're getting exclusive uh, connections to this. Wow. Typically, brewers are going to fill the barrels with stouts and porters or heavier beers that kind of complement the bourbon flavors, which I think, you know, that that's your standard. That's yeah. what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but people have been starting to kind of go off of that, um, especially here with this article that focuses a bit around the Kentucky Craft Bash. Um, their brewers are not aiming for the typical. Daryl Harrison, a partner at Country Boy Brewing in Lexington, said Kentucky breweries are known for pushing the envelope. And they'll do so at the festival by introducing barrel-aged IPAs, golden ales, barley wines, and even sours. I mean, some of those are pretty standard. Yeah. Barrel-aged sour, barrel-aged barley wine. Yep. That's pretty typical. But, you know, barrel-aged IPAs, um, golden ales, that could be very interesting. Just the word, I mean, we covered this this last week. The word aged and IPA kind of are are oxymoronic to each other, and it doesn't doesn't really make sense. But I'm it's intriguing, right? It's whatever flavors are being imparted here uh, could be. I mean, bourbon IPA. Hmm. I'm I'd be down to try that. Yeah, I I know. So okay, speaking of maybe outside of the bourbon barrel craze as as it is here in uh, Kentucky. Uh, do you have a favorite sort of flavor that that the barrel aging process imparts or a type of barrel, uh, Cabernet, uh, you know, a- a- anything particular about barrel aged beers that you like a lot? I I specifically like the darker beers that get kind of the sweet, boozy Pro- notes. Probably bourbon barrels. Yeah, more yeah. of like the bourbon barrel aged mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that tends to fall more in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. um, if I go like the liquor route it's more in the whiskey and bourbon area for me okay um not so much with the wine but i have had some wild sours um aged in red wine barrels i believe Mm -hmm. and that's been very interesting and delicious as well the 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 tannins and the uh like oak like really oak forward Mm -hmm. i think are, are the ones i find pretty interesting yeah um there are some beers too that are aged on uh, like like oak chips or you know things that are the the lower the low-key version of oak aging yes exactly uh not in i can't get my hands on a barrel let's throw some oak chips in pretty much uh, to impart some sort of woodsy type Mm -hmm. uh and i know you can i know you can do that with home brewing if you can't get most home brewers aren't gonna be able to get their hands on a barrel so right they i've heard about taking oak chips um sanitizing them and soaking them in some kind of a liquor, say a bourbon, and then applying those to uh, age the beer on. Right. So then you still, it's it's a very low-tech, low-key <laughs> way of kind of imparting a little bit of that. Yeah. Obviously not going to be anything like a 80-year-old bourbon barrel from Willet, you yeah. know? Well, and you don't see, you don't really see uh, the common wood chip flavors either, like mesquite. You know, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to see applewood, mm, uh, applewood smoked, smoked IPA. IPA. Yeah. Yes. Not, I mean, while that does sound good for like a chicken sausage, <laughs> pro- probably not great for, for a beer. Um, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to our subreddit, the untapped subreddit on discord. They do this, uh, like discord drinking project. I think they call it. And what they're doing is this month or this quarter, they're doing, uh, barrel aged beers. Each of the folks partaking in this are posting their check-ins through a, a cool little untapped bot that they've got in there um, and tracking the different barrel aged beers and sharing it in the in that community so i just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to those guys who have worked pretty hard to put that together and organize it uh and you can get more info i take it over at the subreddit for untapped yes. where is that at uh, <laughs> oh boy this is a, this is a quiz reddit.com slash r slash untapped perfect ha ah. Boom. Head over there if you want to learn more and feel free to join the community there. We tend to pop in and check in on it. Granted, it is not official, but we're there watching, hanging out, talking. Yeah, it's a, it's a good good place for It's a beer. good group of it's untapped people. Another another place, uh, if you love the untapped uh, podcast here, Drinking Socially, 
it's a, it's another one of those types of places. All right. The last article we have today comes from usatoday.com. The latest beers are inspired by booze. This kind of falls in line with our barrel age discussion a minute ago. This kind of falls in line with the beer of the day as well. That's true. The malt beverage. (laughs) Malt liquor, yeah. If there's one set of rules we never fail to break, it's beer before liquor and wine before beer. But today's brewers aren't afraid to overlap. And we're lapping it up. Oh, boy. All right, USA Today. They're, they're getting punnier than we are. Yeah, but... Ugh, ugh. <laughs> um, a beer that tastes like a Manhattan cocktail or smacks of Sauvignon Blanc? That's just what we were talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Um, both might seem like mad scientist-style brewing, but neither is exactly a crazy new idea. For decades, stateside brewers have increasingly dabbled in sour beer and wild fermentation, tinkering with non-traditional yeasts, bacteria, and rule-breaking media. Like money. Money and pizza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although that wasn't in the U.S., but still. <laughs> Crazy things going in that brewing kettle. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, Chicago's Goose Island Beer Company introduced bourbon barrel-aged beers, while Sonoma County's Russian River Brewing Company aged beer in anything from Chardonnay to Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. Delightfully oddball Dogfish Head Brewery injected white muscat grapes straight into the recipe. It's good. There's a Modern Times beer that does that as well. I've mm. had a, I've had one of those. I've had wine barrel aged, bourbon barrel aged. Yep. It's all very interesting, and it's it's a great crossover. I'm glad to see a lot of this kind of coming together. Uh, Jason Cyan of Hudson Valley Brewing uh, says, Much of what we do is inspired by the way in which classic cocktails are built, balancing the strength of the base beer with the acidity and sweetness while providing accent and variation through the use of fruits and botanicals. Now, the interesting thing is that beers like this aren't just for beer nerds, but for wine enthusiasts, whiskey aficionados, and amateurs of all kinds, because you're kind of mixing and mashing up those different flavors and just really crossing over and bringing the whole beverage industry together. Hudson Valley is a really interesting one, too. Have you seen beers from, from Hudson Valley? I have not. They're, uh, it, they seem to be known mostly for their sours. Uh, they make some farmhouse IPAs. They make sour beers that are kind of hopped with things like Citra and Simcoe in the Whirlpool, they say. Uh, that seems to be their most popular beer here. But what I wanted to touch on most briefly is their can design is stellar. Their logo and branding and can design is so cool. Ooh, I'm always a big fan of excellent labels that's uh, that's probably where i know them the most another quote in this article from phil markowski master brewer of connecticut's two roads brewing uh, another brew we've discussed in the past um, he says that the american craft brewing scene is constantly striving to create new and unique beers and to blur lines between beer and other beverages which again i feel like we've seen a growing trend in that yeah well you and you were discussing or you were you were talking about uh your preferences for hard alcohol or mixed drinks mm-hmm. um and where you kind of lean toward towards that stuff are there is there a particular beer that you've had that reminds you a lot of that things like like let's say a manhattan right uh there's a, a orange twist i think in a manhattan is that is that correct or is that an old-fashioned that would be the old-fashioned okay so in an, in an old-fashioned there there are these kind of distinct flavors yes and i actually uh, when i was down in um louisiana I stopped by Abita's tasting room and they okay. had an old fashioned pale ale um, uh, on tap and it was pretty tasty. I got a lot of the like orangey, sweet, boozy yeah. thing from it. Huh. Um, it was really good. And that, that was the one that stood out when I saw this article come up because that was one of the few that I had that was like a beer trying to take on the essence of a cocktail. Right. As opposed to just like bourbon barrel aging and like soaking up the flavors. It was actually trying to get the essence of something. Huh. Um, I've had, again, I've had the Muscat um, grape stuff from uh, Dogfish Head before. That was really interesting. It adds an interesting, like, dryness to it, um, Hmm. that grapey, like, kind of tang to it. It was really good. Um, But I would definitely say that's the first one that popped into my head that I remember. Now it's time to answer some of your questions. Is there anything you've wanted to know about Untapped or beer in general? Send over your questions using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from Al on Twitter, and he asks, Can Untapped let me know what beers are on my wish list when I search for it? Well, Al, it will soon. Yes, that's right. We don't really talk about uh, features that we are going to introduce into the app before we do it, but this is kind of one of those that... We have seen your requests. We've had questions like this before, 
And for folks who do really like the wish list, this seems like a really great addition. It definitely does, because now you kind of know. Uh, in our next release of the app, which the release date is TBD right now, uh, we will actually be including a small little icon on the search results screen in the bottom right of each bureau that will let you know if that beer exists on any of your lists. Not just wish list, but any list that you have created. That's right. So if you've got a seller list at home, it'll show up on there. You've got a wish list of beers that you want to try, it'll show up on there, etc. And then to figure out exactly which lists those are, if you tap into that uh, particular beer and you scroll down the page, you will come to a Your Lists card, and that will show you all of the lists. That will show you a list of lists. It's a little confusing. I know. Let me try this. I always struggle with the list of lists (laughs) thing. They will show you a list of your lists in which that beer exists. I think it's all the all the siblings, maybe, yeah. that can get kind of confusing. And Anyway, you'll see a list, and the beer is on there somewhere. That's right. <laughs> they'll, they'll be your lists. Um, if you've got any feedback like this for us, or you kind of have a question about why something doesn't exist in the app, or you can't find it, we're always open to questions like that. And we're also open to new feature ideas uh, from users, of course. So you can you could send those in either using the hashtag ask untapped uh, if you want to send it in the same way as this or we also have a help uh, link at help.untapped.com where you can send in questions about untapped either to get support or to just send in ideas that you've got show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com and if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback like i just mentioned you can connect with us on twitter facebook and Instagram, it's at untapped everywhere. And if you could head over and give our show here a little uh, rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Again, we'd love to hear your feedbacks, know what you think, what you think might be interesting to add to the show. Um, we're always checking those out. And uh, as more ratings get added to the Apple Podcasts, the higher it will climb in the rankings and the more people will likely find it. And we can share our lovely little discussions here with them as well. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.